0: Turn in your Bibles to the book of James. We have a Bible study today. We are going to see how to study the Word of God. If you've ever been exposed to any kind of organized teaching in regards to how the study of Bible, it's usually called inductive Bible study, where it's OIA, you observe the text, you interpret the text, and you apply the text. So you read it, what does it say in its context? You interpret it, again, in its context, and then you apply it to your life and to the lives of others. So what does it say? What does it mean? What do I do about it? What does it mean to me? That's inductive Bible study. There's some dangers in Bible study, and one of them, it's this theological term called eisegesis, which means you take your ideas cultural standards, your opinion, your reasoning, and you go to the Word of God, and you use your ideas to attempt to prove what you want the Bible to say. So you just pull a text here, and you pull a text there, and you ignore this one, you ignore that one. That's called eisegesis, where you're taking the outside and you're using that as a filter to read and interpret and apply the Word of God. Exegesis is the term for the right way to do it, which is What does this say? This is the filter for life. So what does God have to say in his truth and that be a filter over my heart and over my life. So out of the word of God flows correct interpretation and application. Now I bring that up to say is we're gonna sit in a pretend argument between the Apostle Paul and Pastor James this morning. And I say pretend, there's some people that think it's a legitimate argument that what James has to say is in direct rebuttal to Paul, or what Paul has to say is in direct rebuttal to James. And that is pretend, it is absolutely not true, and we're going to sit in the context of the word and be able to define this. So let's get into James. So that's going to be the the theology side, right? The doctrine side, but we'll get into the heart of what James is communicating. So we are in chapter 2. Verse 14 says, What is it profit? What advantage, my brethren? And here's a pretend conversation, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body Was a prophet. Thus, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works Faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body... Without the Spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. All right, so we're going to sit in the doctrine side of things first, and we're going to begin back there in verse 14 with this one sentence. And James asked the question Can faith save you? Does faith alone in Jesus Christ save you? Yes or no, church? Good answer. Awesome. You guys are well taught. Yes. But didn't James just say no? No. That is not what James said at all. So if you cherry pick James's one sentence and says can faith save him alone and he says no you have to have works also James is dealing with the practical side of living out faith. Now we're going to go look at Paul so turn to Romans and we'll show you where all of this argument comes from. And it's not really an argument like I said it's pretend. So in Romans chapter 1, Paul's communicating the gospel. In Romans 1, verse 1, Paul says that he was separated to the gospel of God. In verse 9, he says, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Down to verse 15, So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And here's his major thesis statement in this very theological, doctrinal teaching in this letter to Romans, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, and note, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. And I say to note because Paul is dealing with Jewish historical doctrine and the difference between Jew and Gentile and what the gospel means to both of those groups separately and what we become as one in Christ, which he develops later on in this letter. But in it, the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, Paul, in this document, he goes through, I mean, this becomes the, the one line that is repetitious, that serves as the foundation that the just shall live by faith. He's going to focus on faith directly in opposition to the works of the law. In other words, by doing the works of the law, you will save yourself. And his argument is no one does the work of the law except Jesus. Therefore, we are only saved through Jesus and not through the works of the law. Okay, So the works that Paul is talking about in Romans are the works of the law. The works that James is talking about in his letter, that faith and works are working together, they are in synergy together, is the word live here that Paul is quoting out of Habakkuk. The just, the justified, the righteous shall live how you walk, what you do, what you think, what you say, by faith, through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ In his work on the cross, and who he is, and what he did, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and return, and all that our God is, faith in that belief in him, that is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel also encompasses that faith, does what to us? There's a change that happens. Life happens, life changes. So it's this living that Paul and James are both focused on, but Paul's argument in the beginning half, he's really focused on faith. So jump into chapter 3, verse 21. We're going to read through a bunch of this just because it's fun. But now the righteousness of God, chapter 3, verse 23, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all all who believe. For there is no difference. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely. Maybe I should use my glasses. That'll help me see. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ whom God set forth as the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness and his forbearance. God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? A word from last week. Where's swaggering? It's excluded. By what law of works? No but but by the law of faith therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law so again here's that line from paul where james is seeming to say the exact opposite no you were justified by faith and works paul saying no it's faith alone again the subject matter is different Paul is dealing with justification, and as he's talking about the deeds of the law, that's working for salvation, working for faith. He's talking about the whole Jewish religious system of what the Word of God had to say, and at the same time, their traditions on top of it. That does not save, but faith in Jesus Christ does save. And he continues on, "'Or is he the God of the Jews only? "'Is he not also the God of the Gentiles?' "'Yes, of the Gentiles also.'" Since there is one God who will justify the, unc- the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make the law void through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. What shall we say? What then shall we say that Abraham our father is found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So you can continue to read this. You can read all of Romans. It's awesome. But again, just look at Paul's emphasis. He's, he's contrasting faith in God and faith in God for his righteousness in contrast and opposition to doing the works that God commanded for your salvation which is incapable of saving any human being and that is why he sent his son and jump down to chapter 6 just to get this one sentence from Paul again on the emphasis on the emphasis of the living it outside the living it outside of the argument man I'm gonna learn how to speak today at some point. Chapter six, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not, God forbid. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And if you want to put James's word here, how shall we who died to sin work any longer in it? We don't work in sin anymore. We work in faith in Jesus Christ. Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. All right, back to James. I wanted to give you that little bit of taste just to help dissuade, discourage, get it out of your mind that there's any contradiction between James and Paul, because there is absolutely not so if Paul is his emphasis is in faith in opposition and contrast to works of the law look at what James is talking about his question there in verse 14 so what advantage what advantage is there in the person who says so the first person says that I you know he has faith I have faith but doesn't do works and then in the second guy the question is you will say, I have faith, or you have faith and I have works. So one is saying, I have faith, yes, but no works. And then the second guy is, I have works and you have faith. So, right? So there's this rhetorical argument that he is just using to bring up what is true and what's not. So, what advantage if someone says that he has faith and does not have works? And his statement here can faith save him? So his emphasis is not, he's not talking about the doctrine of faith and law. He's talking about the behavior that comes out of faith. If a brother, and again, this is an example, and this is to be an extreme hyperbole, right? Listen to his language. So if you and I right now, we encounter a brother or sister who is stark naked and without daily food they don't have today's food to eat. And you say to them, go away in peace. Be warmed, even though you're stark naked, go on outside, be warmed. And even though your belly is empty, be filled. So, does that individual's faith in who God is and in God's words, does the person who says that they have faith but would say that these words to a brother and sister sit in the hyperbole of it. He's bringing out an extreme exaggeration. Does that person's faith have any value whatsoever? No, because the words are empty. So many people can say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. And that faith have no transformation process of the heart, of the mind, of the mouth, of the actions. This is what James is sitting in. Your Jesus works. And faith in Jesus works. It's transforming. There's an energy. There's an effect as he is hammering away at our hearts and our lives. Because, again, just sit. I mean, it's the the image that he brings up is, it's kind of like the Christianese language that we could use in our culture today. It's just, you know, some tragedy happens in somebody's life and it's, well, God bless you, and I'll be praying for you, and you go about your merry way, and you don't help walk alongside of that brother and sister as the Lord is leading you to. And here again, this, a lot of the themes that James is sitting in practically is dealing with Eastern hospitality. So when he brings up Abraham and he, when he brings up Rahab, both of them are heroes of hospitality in the Old Testament that we'll get back to. So, he's talking about our hospitable relationship with our brothers and sisters. If you encountered a believer, and again, this isn't somebody on the outside, this is a believer in this room right now, no clothes on, and you just tell them to be warmed and go on their merry way, does your faith have any meaning whatsoever? It's not real, it's pretend. There's some false narrative, false story that you're telling yourself to be able to communicate that to another human being. Now, at the same time, everybody's life emergencies don't become your own personal life emergencies. And the Holy Spirit has to give us wisdom. Lord, how do I stand in the gap here? Have you taken from this individual so that they can feel the lack So that they can press into you and seek you and know you. And if I come rushing in with the help, in some circumstances, that's not God's will. In other circumstances, it is. So it demands the Holy Spirit to speak to us in every single one of the contexts that we interact with. James, again, he is talking in a principle to get the point of cross. Your words here in this context, the words to the brother or sister who are in this condition mean absolutely nothing to help them in their condition. So his conclusion is thus, faith uh, is according to itself, faith all by itself alone. If it does not have works, it's dead, and the idea is, its it's useless, your faith in Jesus Christ has had no effect in your life is what he is bringing up in this context. And then the other side is someone's gonna say, well, you have faith, but I have work. I'm a good person. I'm doing good works. And his, his statement is exhibit, demonstrate it. So sit, sit in a courtroom, right? Exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C. Place on exhibit for all to see your faith without your works. Can you do it? I don't know of any other way. James doesn't know any other way, and that's what he's bringing up. So show me, show your faith, and that's not show me, just demonstrate it. Exhibit your faith separate from the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And here's the reality. (laughs) Lincoln's been saying this. He doesn't believe in atheists. You know, what's, what's the reality that a human being really doesn't believe that there is some kind of creator? It's, it's a really narrow segment of the population, if it is real at all. Most believe that there is a God. Well done. They hear this, the demon, even the demons believe and tremble. This idea for tremble, anybody get the Holy Spirit goosebumps? You know, you get that shiver of hair up your spine or whatever, and again, sometimes that could be the Holy Spirit, and sometimes it's just emotional, right? So you can't always say that that's of the Holy Spirit, but that's what's being described here. The demons, they believe in God, and they, in their encounter with God, the hair on the back of their necks stand up, and they shudder and tremble and bristle at the reality of who God is. Now, Why bring up demons here? Because, again, he's sitting in Eastern hospitality, and these are going to be the examples that are brought up. Demons, theologically, biblically, sit in Jewish culture, are incapable of doing anything good. Their works are evil. That's the definition of an unclean, evil spirit. So even the demons believe. Even the demons have faith, is what he's bringing up. And they shudder and tremble because they know what their end is. So again, the contrast is sitting in this idea of a care, of concern, standing in the gap with people and not just go on your merry way. And again, you can sit in Jesus' uh, parable. How about you know the parable of the Good Samaritan? That would be awesome to couple with this passage. But do you want to know, oh foolish man? And literally, it's oh, empty in the head man and again he's not he's not throwing darts at people he's just all of us can be unthinking he's clearly addressing a concern that he sees within his own congregation he this is a common um you know cultural idea it's it's common to express faith in christ and not live it out it was common then it's common now O oh, foolish man, it's this unthinking, empty, useless mind. O oh, foolish man, do you want to know that faith without works is dead? And he brings up Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified out of works when he sacrificed Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together in synergy is where, uh, where we get the English word synergy is this working together. Faith was working together with his works. And out of works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified out of works and not out of faith alone. is the language. So here's the example that's being brought up. This This is Father Abraham. This is the man who God chose out of all the nations there at the end of Genesis chapter 11. Get out from your people. Get out from your family. And he doesn't say the language there, but you see it later on in, in inference, but it's also get out from your, your, the, your father's household. His dad was an idolater for sure, which probably means that so was Abraham. Get out from your idolatry, your religion. I will be your God. I will give to you a land. Come on, follow me is Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. When Abraham is in the land in Genesis 15, this is at the end of, you know, the Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, uh, there's a lot issue. I'm not going to go too much deep. I'll I'll ramble really well. But in 15, Abraham has just gone to war and battle to retrieve his kidnapped nephew, Lot. And when he comes back, God appears before him. And God's words to Abraham is Abraham, do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. And what's Abraham's response? Where's my son? I don't, the, the inheritor of my household is a servant, not a child out of my own body. And God promises to him a child out of his own body. And you go through God's language to Abraham, and then it's this line that's being quoted here. Abraham believed God. Not believed in God, right? We've contrasted that. He believed God's promise. And that belief, that faith, was reckoned, was accounted. So you sit in an accounting ledger. It was applied to his ledger, was God's righteousness. Paul, use that. Was not Abraham our father before he was circumcised, before the law, was he not justified by faith? Yes. And James is sitting on the practical side, though. Yes, Abraham believed God. But that faith and that trust in God worked out in Abraham's life. He said in chapter 16, it didn't work out very well in Abraham's life because he got sick of waiting for the promised son. And so did Sarah. So what did they do? Brought Hagar into the relationship. Ishmael's produced. Abraham has his son. And the New Testament uses Ishmael. God did not hate Ishmael, but uses Ishmael as a picture for a work of the flesh. You were trying to bring about my will through your own work, through your own effort, through your own energy. And Abraham, oh God, let Ishmael live before you. And God said, no, out of your body and out of Sarah's body, you old, decrepit, dead womb, dried up man and woman, out of these broken bodies, I am going to give you the child of promise. And this is Isaac, laughter. Abraham laughs in faith. Sarah laughs in mockery. And the son is born. Now you fast forward in time. Genesis 22, God comes to Abraham. And it says, God tested Abraham. Abraham, take your son, your only son. Ishmael doesn't count. Your only son that I promised to you, that I gave to you by miracle. Take him, take him to this mountain and sacrifice him to me. What does Abraham do? Hightail it out there. In perfect obedience, he packs up, takes his son, goes to the mountain. And this is, Isaac's not a child. He's a grown man. Submits to being bound by his father, placed on an altar. Abraham raises his hand with a knife in hand to sacrifice his son which is anthema. This is, everything is in contrast to, I mean, this is, this is a crazy story, but again, it's imaging God sending his son to die for our sins. And as the hand is up with the knife, God tells him to what? Stop. Now I know. Do you think God doesn't know what's in Abraham's heart? Of course he does. But faith is at work in his heart, in Abraham's heart. God had something to display to Abraham, to Isaac, to Sarah, to that whole culture. God had something to communicate to the Jews in history forward that's an incredible image of Jesus on the cross. You see it in Genesis uh, 22. Um, Isaiah 52 and 53, Psalm 21, all of what is going on on the cross is imaged for us in the Old Testament, in, in what God did. So James's argument is, was not Abraham's faith in the works of obedience to God? Wasn't there a synergy there in action? Because what if Abraham said no? We read, it, was it last week where Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock as he was commanded, and that disobedience kept him out of the promised land? So had Abraham have been disobedient, it would have broken the image that God was seeking to create for all of us. His faith was working together with his works So James is saying, so you can see, you can see it. You can see that, yes, theologically, doctrinally, positionally, we are justified by faith alone. There is no work to be done for your salvation. However, we can see the effect of God in our life works out what God wants in our life. And then you go fast forward to Hebrews chapter 11, we are told in Hebrews 11 that Abraham's faith, he believed that if he killed Isaac, that God would raise Isaac from the dead. Why? Because God made promises concerning Isaac only. If, God's does, if God does not fulfill the promises that he gave concerning Isaiah, God is a liar. And his faith knows God is not a liar. He is good. He is compassionate. He is merciful. He is my shield. He is my exceedingly great reward. He gave me this child by a miracle. I know him. I don't know why he's telling me to do this. I don't know why I don't. Can you imagine his emotion? He didn't go and have a one-on-one conversation with Sarah about what he was going to do. He just got up and left. We'll be back. Can you imagine his trembling? I bet you he stayed in front of the front of the little, you know, the hike that they had to go on because, so that Isaac couldn't see his tears. Now, that's Abraham's faith. What about Rahab? What did she do? hospitality. What did God do? God freed the nation of Israel from their slavery in Egypt, demonstrating himself to be the God over anything else defined as God, all the Egyptian gods. As they are fleeing the army of the Egyptians, what does God part? The Red Sea. And the Jews go through on dry ground through the middle of this ocean, the Red Sea. As the Egyptian army is pursuing them, and God allows the waters of that sea to come upon Pharaoh's army. But he delivered his people out of slavery, yeah? So you sit in their wilderness wandering as Forty, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. So forty years later, God's bringing them into the promised land, the land that He promised to give to Abraham. God is faithful concerning all of His promises, and as they come up to the walls of Jericho, what do you call them, Jerichites? I have no idea what you call the inhabitants of Jericho. Whatever that is, what are the inhabitants doing? They've lost all hope. They have heard about the God of the nation of Israel. You have heard about the God of the nation of Israel. You have heard about your creator. And this is what faith does. Faith transforms your behavior. When the two spies come into Jericho, the inhabitants of Jericho, the king is told by the guards that, hey, two spies from the nation of Israel just came in and they're at Rahab's house. And the king goes and gets Rahab, and she's hidden them away. And where are they? Bring them out. And they were here, but they left. But in her conversation with these two men, it's, we have heard of your God. And it's not just your God. It's, we have heard of the Lord God of the nation of Israel. Your God, he alone is the creator of the heavens above and the earth beneath. He is. Is God? She expresses faith in the reality of who the true God is in opposition to whatever her gods were in her culture. She demonstrated hospitality to these two men. But in there, you sit in Rahab's cry, her plea. She just doesn't go for herself. She says, I have a dad, I have a mom, I have brothers, I have sisters, we believe in your God. And they say, you hang this scarlet scarf, this scarlet fabric out of your window. Whoever is in your house will be saved. If anybody's outside of the house, we have no responsibility. Their blood is on their hands, heads. Anybody in your house, they will be saved. So you go through the whole 7 days of marching around Jericho, 7th day, 7 times, they do the shout, the walls come crashing down. Army of Israel goes straight in and kills everybody. God's judgment. Is merciless. Man, woman, child, animal, take nothing that is accursed. God judged this entire population because of their generations of sin. But who was saved? Rahab, her dad, her mom, her brothers and her sisters, and they became part of the nation of Israel. Do you know how we know that? Matthew chapter 1, Jesus' uh, Jesus's genealogy. Go sit in Matthew chapter 1, there are four women mentioned. And all of them have some pretty seedy backgrounds going on, some, some bad issues. Rahab had a terrible history that God saved her out of by revealing himself to her, by her expressing faith in him, and acting according to that faith, our sister Rahab becomes a great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandma of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through her husband Salmon of the nation of Israel. How's that for God's grace and swaggering mercy? I think it's awesome. So then, my brothers and sisters, do you not see that the body without the spirit is dead? It's useless. It's empty. Just as the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is just as dead and just as useless. But, oh, my, you go sit in, again, Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith. Rahab is mentioned there also and all the others about here is men and women in body, and spirit alive, born from above through faith in Jesus Christ, the works that they did. So go sit in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, this individual did something. Their faith was working together in synergy with in relationship with the Holy Spirit to dwelling in them, in faith in all of who Jesus Christ is, in worship and seeking to glorify the Father in heaven, Father, Son, and Spirit, three and one, oh my. And then you and me added to that mix in unity for all eternity. Do you feel encouraged to let God Work away in you? Work away through you? Are your works, your actions, your thoughts, your speech, are they exhibiting faith in Jesus? When he tells you to do the hard thing, when he tells you to do the easy thing when he takes away from you, when he gives to you. Heavenly Father, the desire of every single one of us is to image you. Here's my prayer this morning, Lord. I have a zeal for you, and I can be super aggressive just in my personality, and I don't want to be zealous for zealousness' sake, but I want to be gentle and kind and lowly and considerate. Lord, I want the knowledge of you that you have granted to me, that you have given to me. You've manifested all of your attributes to me, Lord, and I only know little little pieces and slivers. And what I know of you is just glorious. Like Paul, I look in the mirror and say, oh, wretched man that I am, oh, oh, foolish man that I am. Blake, knock it off. (laughs) Lord, help me to knock it off turn away from all that is not of you, and I come running to you, Lord. I come running to you in faith. I come running to you, Lord, for, for that transformation. I don't wanna be who I was yesterday. I'm thankful that your mercies are new every single day. I'm thankful, Lord, that as often as I err When I come to you in repentance and confession, there you are with open arms to wash me and to cleanse me. Not only have you created a right spirit within me by making my spirit alive through faith in Christ, you keep me clean, Lord. When I deviate, Lord, from the standard where I'm supposed to be aimed, what I'm supposed to be doing, thinking, saying. There you are to draw me back to you. Lord, for for everybody here, Lord, I'm praying that that they hear your heart, that they see your majesty and glory, that they know the works that you have performed. Lord, that they submit themselves to your sanctification process, you transforming them day in and day out. May we not just say easy Christian words, Lord, but may we live these things out in power, your power, not according to the works of the law, but according to the works of your spirit. Lord, help each of us not to walk and to live according to the flesh, but to live by faith, to walk and live in your spirit. Give to us your mind. Give to us your heart, your hands, your actions. Not only may we say the right things, Lord, but do the right things. For your glory. For the benefit of others, Lord. Give to me the words that I can can speak to my friends that I know that don't know you. Help me to love him, Lord. Help me to pray for him. Help me to be in action. May it never be about me or any other name other than the name of Jesus. We are called by you and we call upon you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.